The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to be with everyone this morning. Uh, you might have noticed I just put uh, something in the chat. I put the uh, information about contributing to the center there, as I normally do. And then I also put a theme that, uh, for those of you who are able to stay for the small groups at the end, at 11.45, what you might reflect on, and what I'm going to talk a little bit about now, this transforming, liberating power of the continuity of mindful awareness. And uh, it's really, you know, I think in the Tao Te Ching, the sort of seminal text in Taoism from ancient China. It's uh, in one of the passages, it's about how water, the most yielding, pliable of substances, turns out to have tremendous power. And mindfulness also has this soft power. But what makes mindfulness, it's really both wisdom and awareness coming together. What makes that so powerful is the continuity of wisdom and awareness. It's that sustained present moment awareness combined with wise view. Wise view basically helps the mind know what to attune to in the continuity of awareness and how to see it as a natural unfolding instead of interpreting it in terms of my self stories self-centered stories. See it as nature, a natural process. And when we can sustain that wisdom and awareness, basically ignorance, however deeply entrenched those ignorant habits to think this way or see things that way, they don't have a chance with sustained wisdom awareness. So one of the things that we see, especially as we get into the more subtle meditative territory, is that we really respect, we learn to respect, because it, it's almost like an exponential function, if you know anything about math. You know, it's like if there's a feedback mechanism that keeps engaging the process, then it really rapidly increases its power. And this is something like the continuity of wisdom and awareness, how quickly the mind can go from being in an ordinary, ignorant, self-centered place to deeply seeing things it hasn't seen before that are liberating, experience as liberating, profound kinds of healing that we didn't even realize, the healing we didn't even realize needed to happen starts to happen. And the heart feels, you know, in a sacred kind of way, blessed just to have been in the meditation or been in the moment. And remember, because I know there was a lot of me talking during the guided meditation, because we're in this process of getting some information from the Buddha, his teachings from the Anapanasati Sutta, the Discourse on Mindfulness of Breathing, and these 16 steps, right? We're working so far with the first 12. And so I'm walking us through the first 12, like we did this morning, <clears throat> because we want to really start to 
have some competence to have reflected on these 12 steps enough in a, in a real way memorize these 12 steps, at least in a general sense, and eventually in a very intimate way to know what these 12 steps point to in our own experience. This is the middle part of wisdom. The initial part is just getting some good information, some new useful information, like from our teacher, the Buddha. And then we, because we're good students, we actually learn the information, we internalize it. So then I'm not dependent on the Buddha or some representative of the Buddha repeating the instructions because I've memorized them and I know how to use, I'm learning at least how to use those verbal, intellectual or conceptual instructions. And I'm developing this intuitive sense, what do those instructions point to in terms of my own experience? And there's a lot of work, of course, in that middle place of contemplating the truth of my experience by using these instructions. And then that sets up the third level of wisdom, which we call insight, where the mind, the heart, experiences something it hasn't experienced before. We wake up to something we haven't woken up to before. That's why we call this a path of awakening. We're getting some information we're developing some competency with the information. We've memorized it. We're learning how to use it. We're learning how it's useful to help me see what I haven't seen. And we're setting up moments of little and sometimes big insights. These little transforming moments where the mind glimpses something that has always been here, that has always been missed, not seen, not experienced, because of our ignorant habits of seeing things the way we've seen them before. We have to, we should never underestimate the power of delusion or ignorance, which is doing the same thing, getting the same results. So in terms of the thinking mind and perceiving mind, we're perceiving and thinking and understanding in ways we've thought and perceived and understood in the past. And that creates kind of a closed <clears throat> loop of ignorance, like we keep, and you know, there's some <clears throat> excuse me, there are some different ways we're ignorant. <clears throat> we're not always ignorant in the same way, right? And there's relatively wholesome ways to be ignorant and relatively unwholesome ways to be ignorant, but we're still not really outside of the bubble of the way we conceive things to be. We're caught in our conceptions. And the whole path the Buddha lays out for us, where we get this information, which initially you see is all about stabilizing present moment awareness, like bringing wisdom, wise view, and the continuity of present moment awareness together in this very powerful force when we develop continuity. And this is where we integrate the teachings, connect them with our actual experience. And it isn't long before we start learning, having insight. That's what the word vipassana means. It's a seeing into the actuality of experience, the nature of the mind, the nature of experience, but not in terms of our conception, which are always, almost always in this self-centered mode, like we interpret our experience from the point of being the separate, permanent self, having an experience. But that's not actually our direct, immediate, subjective experience. And that's what we're doing with these teachings. So. 
that's a long way of saying, please forgive me for talking a lot during the meditation, because we're still in this phase of learning, right? And we're learning, like in the first four instructions around the body, we're learning how to not be in conflict and not be caught up in the diversity of our experience. So we're learning instead to just be with the breath, just be with the whole body, and realize that the knowing mind can come into the experience of the body, and there's a very available pleasure of the awareness being neglectful, right? There's a stress when the awareness is neglectful of the body, we're, we're living our life in a disembodied way, we don't realize it because we're so caught up in what we're thinking about, but it's stressful. So when we do those first four instructions and we're healing the body and mind, and the mind is embodied, it is aware, there is a body, a sitting, breathing body. And there's the awareness is not in conflict with the body, not trying to control it, make it different, not ignoring it or neglecting it, then a pervasive calm can develop throughout the body. The body settles down. It's sort of like when we're being held, we go, I feel safe, right? And the baby, like if we're holding a baby or whatever, eventually it calms down, okay, I can really trust. And it's that that's what happens to the body. It sort of goes, I don't have to be on guard. I don't have to be armored. I can really settle. Because the mind, the generous, loving, sensitive heart and mind is like finally showing up to the body, coming home to the body. Oh. And the body reflects this generous presence of the mind and heart, and it relaxes. And that's the fourth step. Breathing in, experiencing that pervading calm. Breathing out, learning to sense and appreciate that pervading calm in the body. And the more that integration of mind and body, then it sets up the fifth instruction. I'm just going to walk through them again more quickly, where because the body-mind is in this more settled, healed place, then wisdom can sense that the present moment is a flow. It's alive with movement, vibration, just on a bodily level. And I often start by just feeling my heart area, this sort of central area of our experience, and just uh, being attuned to anything that feels like a flow or a movement of energy. And it's it's that movement itself, the absence of being locked in, the absence of energy being fixed, is a way into the experience of joy. So when you're sitting, having experienced some calm, breathing in, breathing out, then when, we, when you want to move to the fifth instruction, one trains oneself breathing in, experiencing joy, PT, breathing out, experiencing joy, then just be aware of the body-mind, the present moment, but attuning to anything that feels like a uplifting, a movement, a rising, a buoyant, 
flow, free flow, even starting with just a little trembling vibratory quality in the mind and body, whatever the gateway might be. And just say, oh, oh, this is nice. Something's unfixed. Something is freely alive, expressing the vibration of life, of the movement of mind and body, the movement of experience, the movement of what's here and now. It's alive, it's unfixed. And even though initially it might seem very ordinary or not special, or that's not joy, right? Because it's not like when you won the lottery or when you fell in love or, you know, these other things we think of when there was a lot of joy around. But it's like we're finding it in a very natural, organic place, right here and now in the experience of the mind and body. And by keeping it in mind, we see it just like with the calm spreading and deepening, Joy will feel like it's spreading and deepening as if each cell, each space of the mind and heart and body has a nice, generous smile. That's that kind of upliftment. And you might even notice a kind of unforced shift in your posture, like in a subtle way you're, you might feel more upright, more lifted up in your posture. That may be an expression as you tune into more joy and rapture in your experience. And easier to be awake, enlivened, right? Because these are the qualities of joy, brightening. Uh, you could even, uh, sometimes people translate piti as joyful interest, right? But it's not like that intellectual interest, like what the heck's going on here? It's more like awe or wonder, right? That, that sort of bright quality that just starts to suffuse the body and the mind. And the more we really let that in and, and stay attuned to that as we breathe in, as we breathe out, as the spreading and deepening, then that resonant, that more resonant relaxation of contentment. And the image is the traditional image I used in the guided meditation, like the flow of the river is the joy, like, whoa, rapids, you know, it's like, oh, suffers moving, right? waves of energy, right? And then eventually that flow moves into a deep and wide lake or ocean. And that's that settling of ease. Sukha is the Pali word. Right? So ju we just notice. And again, you might initially sense that in one, in a sense, location of your experience. Just that kind of, ah, oh, don't have to go, don't have to be, don't have to do. Ah, oh, contentedness. Things don't need to be different than they are. And then see how that sense, that more profound subtleness spreads and deepens throughout the space of the body and the mind. So that eventually with practice, right? Because what are we practicing? We're keeping ease in mind. Each of the 16 steps, we're practicing keeping something in mind. So the meditation object is changing. Initially, it's the meditation object is mindfulness of the breath coming in and out. Then it's mindfulness of the length of the breath and how it goes from being gross to subtle. And then it's keeping in mind whole body, keeping in mind the calming of the body, keeping in mind joy, keeping in mind ease, keeping in mind with dispassion the activity of mind, just thoughts being known from that spacious, dispassionate point of view because of the contentment, right? So keeping in mind the activity mind, noticing the quieting of that activity of mind, 
So that's the eighth instruction. And then the ninth, because of the quieting mind, we can notice the space of the knowing mind, open, here and now. Not what's happening in the space, like sensation or thought, right? Those things, the activity of the body and the mind, even the activity of breathing in and out, it's there, but it's in the periphery. But what's what we're learning to keep attuned to is the space of here and now, the open, empty, silent, um, quiet space of the present moment the space of the knowing mind. And to the next step, so this would be 10, I guess, um, is appreciating, or they say gladdening the mind as you breathe in, gladdening the mind as you breathe out. So the gladdening is really noticing that sublime pleasure of quiet, of space. right? The quiet, not of the activity, but of the space. That we don't, the mind or the rather wisdom doesn't have to attend to activity because it's learning to rest or abide in the space of the present moment, the space of awareness. And there's a pleasure because it's so much quieter to abide, to attune to the space of the present moment than it is out of habit to feel like I gotta lock into every little thing coming and going and have an opinion about it. So it's really a more profound kind of peacefulness to learn that awareness or wisdom rather can align and rest and abide in the space. So that's the gladdening. And then it's really just a natural flow from noticing the space, gladdening the space, concentrating the space, releasing or liberating the space. Those are those next four instructions in the third set, right? So 9, 10, 11, and 12. So the concentrating is just by keeping in mind space, it's pleasant, it's getting quieter. In a way, it's purifying because the more that wisdom aligns with the space of the present moment, the less the mind is involved, identified with doing, any kind of self-centered doing, even doing the meditation, wanting things to happen in the meditation. So we're basically change of allegiance from being a doer, even in a very wholesome sense, the sort of wholesome meditator. We're changing allegiance from being the wholesome meditator to just resting, abiding in the space. We're giving up the identity of being the doer, the meditator, right? So then the space of the present moment is getting quieter. This is what we mean by concentrating. There's less self-centered activity, even wholesome self-centered activity, less and less of it. It's less somebody meditating and more just the simple presence of silence, of space, of openness, of peace, the peace of less and less self-centered doing. And then the releasing or the liberation is really an insight where wisdom, you could say, is learning something about the mind free of self-centered grasping, self-centered clinging, self-centered doing. 
So in that resting in awareness, then in a way realizing that that space of awareness is empty of suffering. It's a realization, oh, this is the experience of non-grasping. It's getting a sense of freedom. What the mind is like when it isn't being shaped by self-centered activity. But we don't do that. So, so much of that third set of four instructions of experiencing the space of the mind, gladdening it, appreciating it, concentrating it, stilling it, liberating it, releasing it, it's a natural process. The more we think we're doing those four steps, the more frustrated we'll be. So it's really about um, the awakening, we're, we're realizing the awakening process and the, and the kind of process of deepening of concentration is a natural process, but can be trusted. And we don't have to feel like we have to control it or steer it or do it, but we can just let it unfold naturally. So I thought like uh, for those of you who are going to stay for the small groups to really hone in on your own experience of continuity and the power of that continuity of wisdom and awareness. So the wisdom part is whatever we're attending to with some continuity, it's a natural process, it's nature. And I can I, I don't have to be so dependent <clears throat> on putting a personal overlay on whatever I'm observing in the present moment. Oh, it's just nature, or it's just a natural process. So combining that view, oh, it's just nature, with the continuity of present moment awareness, that's really potent. So like, where have you experienced that continuity? What was that like? What have you noticed in your practice gets in the way of the continuity of present moment awareness? What can you do about that? What seems to support that continuity of present moment awareness? And here's the hint. The Buddha gives us, you know, it's really the first three factors, those of you who know the list of the seven factors of awakening, one of the more important lists. It's really the energizing and tranquilizing factors that when they're in balance, our mind will see things it hasn't seen before because it makes the mind powerful. So oh, there's mindfulness and then three energizing factors investigation or that really wholesome interest, energy, that kind of persistence, like, oh yeah, this it's good to pay attention here. And then the joy, the sort of real brightness that comes because we're building. But it's really just the first three, and then all the other wholesome factors come online by themselves. So we have mindfulness, interest or uh, investigation, energy, and when you, these three are really aligned and um, sort of given some attention, then joy happens, tranquility happens, concentration happens, equanimity. And then the tranquilizing balance, the energizing, the interest, energy, and joy, and mindfulness kind of keeps things in balance. And that's the heart, that's the mind that wakes up. So a lot of what we're doing, um, you know, in terms of the first two sets of four, mindfulness of the bodily activity, mindfulness of the mental activity, it's really developing interest, the energy of persistence, that continuity of awareness, right?
<laughs> and uh, I came across this. I was reading this for another group I led. Where we just finished reading uh, Christina Feldman. Some of you know her, one of our elders in our Western insight meditation, early Buddhist tradition. Mostly teaches in England um, at the Gaia Center, but uh, uh, Christina has regularly come to IMS to teach in Massachusetts once or twice a year for, for a long, long time. And uh, in her book um, on the four loving abodes, uh, Brahma Viharas or divine abodes, uh, she writes, just explaining dukkha, you know, like being caught up in our self-centered activities. Um, a world of distress is born of the ongoing argument we have with the unarguable. The ongoing argument we are having with the unarguable. And what's the unarguable? That's Dhamma. That's the way it is. And we always feel like we should be in a personal argument with the way it is. And Dhamma practice, Dharma practice, this, these teachings from the Buddha, they're really about aligning with the way it is. We don't have to be in conflict with our bodily experience. We don't have to be in conflict with our mental activity. We don't have to be in conflict with the nature of the mind. And we don't have to be in conflict with the nature of awakening. We can come into alignment. And that really is a nice little simile or metaphor for the awakening process. We're coming into alignment with nature. We're realizing how much of what is here and now is out of alignment because we're in this allegiance with self-centeredness, which in a way is a, an aberration that is born, you know, which is sort of a natural arising. Uh, one uh, teacher in our tradition, in our early Buddhist tradition, likens this to whirlpools, which of course in a river, when you get a little whirlpool, it's all water. And the water of the whirlpool isn't really different than the water of the rest of the river. But it has a d distinct shape, right? And this is like our little endless self-centered dramas. One whirlpool after another, and there's something in the nature of the whirlpool to keep replicating itself over and over and over. And so what we're doing is developing a set of tools that allows us to see the bigger picture. And in the bigger picture, seeing the river seeing the whirlpool as it is, we have the realization, the insight that we didn't have before, which is, it's just all water. It's just all water. And that somehow takes away the supporting causes for the whirlpool. Without us having to get in, like, think from a self-centered point of view, I'm going to get rid of my ignorance, or I'm going to get rid of the whirlpool. We just need to understand its nature. It's just nature. And that changes everything. And that insight that it's just nature is the inevitable, unstoppable result of wisdom and the continuity of awareness coming together. When we have that pointing out instruction, you know what? It's just a natural process, just nature. With that, that sort of interest in the way that it is, that sustained, ongoing interest in the present moment, wise view with that sustained present moment awareness changes everything. And one of the things to share in your small groups, because this is really conducive for people having more confidence, is when you share with the three or four people you're with, your own deepening of confidence about the power of present moment awareness, this wisdom awareness, 
how it's really already begun to change your life. You're a different human being. When you when a bad thing happens or a good thing happens, there's just more space, more resilience, more nimbleness, more ease of heart than there was five years ago or whatever. It's really important that we share this. So if you're not going to stay for this small groups today or in other weeks, fine. But find other folks to talk with because uh, we need in the beginning, especially some borrowed faith, like, oh, this seems to work because I trust these people. They have no reason to lie to me and they seem transformed by the work. Because it takes some sustained effort. It's subtle. It's not a muscular effort, but it's really this effort of being interested in the present moment. It's subtle and we don't get much support or we really don't get any support from our culture to be interested in this way, in our own experience, in this sort of inner sense. We're just drawn out into the world of politics, into the world of this and that. And if we're not careful, we end up on our deathbed realizing, oh yeah, I was going to cultivate mindfulness. And then I forgot. <laughs> because there's so many things drawing our attention in, in other directions. So we need community. You know, even at the time of COVID, we need to gather like this. Even though you're ready to eat your lunch, why not stay for this small group? Because it can be really helpful. And of course, it may not work for you to stay, and that's totally okay. But then find your own close friends who have a practice, who have some wisdom and interest like you do in understanding the nature of the heart and mind. Because without community, it's not so easy to change the habits of our mind. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.